every morning about the one person who impacted human history more than anyone else who ever lived. And that, of course, is Jesus Christ. Uh, he impacted history like uh, no one else did, but he is at the same time perhaps the most debated or controversial uh, person. Who is he really? Uh, people debate and argue, theologians study and uh, convene conferences. Who is he? Well, friend, Jesus revealed his true identity to us in, in, the, in uh, the Gospels, and especially in seven uh, I am statements found in the book of John. And we're in a series. We're going through those. We're looking at each one of those. And today we come to John chapter 14. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Well, the scripture will also be up on the screen. And if you're finding that, I just want to know, how many of you really like to travel? Okay? And I've kind of determined, you know, that those of us who don't have to travel much really, really like it. But those who have to travel all the time, well, it's another story. Uh, I have a brother who has been in the pharmaceuticals business for 30 years, and he has traveled. He travels every week, all the time. And uh, people say to him, well, when are you going to retire? You know, when are you going to stop all this travel? And he says, the day that my third daughter gets married. <laughs> now, I love to travel uh, with Donna. Uh, but, you know, after a long trip, uh, you know, when you, when you get back home, it's just like, ah, oh, it's good to be home. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia Chronicles and many other things, he wrote this. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Lewis is saying that all those things that we think will satisfy us here on earth, you know, like uh, money or success or pleasure, he's saying, you know, they don't deliver. They, they may, you may get a, an initial and temporary surge of fulfillment, but it doesn't last. And he says the reason is we were designed for something greater than this world. Now, Jesus said the same thing. He said the same thing to his disciples in John chapter 14 at the Last Supper. It's his last night with them. Hours, uh, of, in a few hours, he would be crucified. And he was talking to these, these men who had left their homes to follow him. You see, in, in their day... Most people became what their father was. If your father was a fisherman, you became a fisherman. If your father was a carpenter, you took over the family business. But these disciples had left their homes and their businesses to follow Jesus. And they truly thought that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah. And they probably thought he was going to overthrow the Romans and he was going to usher in the kingdom of God. And then at the Last Supper, Jesus laid a bombshell. He said, I'm leaving you. I'm leaving you. I'm going to be crucified tomorrow. 
I'm going. And you're going to have to carry on without me. And that's why in John chapter 14, he says to them in verse 1, Do not let your hearts be troubled. They, they were troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. They, you, they thought Jesus was going to solve the world's problems. They were troubled by their world. The Romans occupied their nation. They were, they were subjects. They were troubled by what was going on in their world. And, and so are we, aren't we? we? We worry about what the terrorists are going to do next. We worry what the North Koreans are going to do next. We worry what the Kardashians are going to do next. I mean, you know, we're just, we're just really upset. So we can understand why the disciples were troubled. And, and it's, a, you know, it's a bit ironic <laughs> that here's Jesus who knew that in just a few hours he's going to be arrested by a mob and then taken and beaten and tortured and then nailed to a cross in less than 24 hours. And he's telling them, don't you be troubled. And friend, that's what's so great about Jesus. I mean, I mean, if there was ever a time that we would excuse Jesus, you know, for being a little bit consumed with what was going on in his life, this is it. But he was more concerned about what was going on in their lives. And that's why he came, friend, to die for them, to die for you, and to die for me. So, what did Jesus say to them? What does he say to us about our home here on earth not being what it ought to be? He says in the last half of that verse, okay, don't be troubled. You believe in God. He's sovereign. He's in charge. Believe also in me. Believe in me. Listen, I'm returning to heaven but I'm going to live inside each one of you, wherever you are in the person of the Holy Spirit. And I want to lead you through this messed up maze of this world all the way to your real home, to your eternal home in heaven. That's what he says in verse 2. My Father's house has many rooms. And some translations say mansions. That's what I memorized as a kid. But the word really is rooms. And, you know, I really like that. You know, I think sometimes when people uh, talk, think about heaven, you know, and you get a mansion, everybody thinks, okay, well, I'm over here. And, uh, you know, there are other people over there. And all. No, it says rooms. You know, when you're, when you're a child of the Father, <laughs> you have a room in the house. My father has, my father's house has many rooms because we're sons and daughters when we follow his son Jesus. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? That's a rhetorical question. Of course not, Jesus is saying. And if I go, which I am, and I prepare a place for you, I am going to come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Friend, that's the promise. That's what God wants to do in each one of our lives.
Now, yeah, uh, most of us here were preparing uh, for some uh, a big event. I, I talked to someone uh, who's preparing for a big music competition this Friday. I talked to someone about graduation coming up. And maybe some of you teens here today, you're preparing for getting your license or or graduating, or, or getting married, or having kids, or retiring. You're preparing for something big and important. Are you preparing for the Lord's return? Nothing's bigger than that. Nothing's bigger than that. He's coming back for his followers to take us home. You see, Jesus says we're going to have problems here on this. On this earth, you will have tribulation, he says. But he promises us that our eternal home, that's going to be paradise if we follow him. He'll, re- come, he'll return to take his followers to the home that we'll never have to leave again. The home of our heavenly Father, which will be finally and forever perfect with no sin and suffering, no grieving and no dying. Do you want a home like that? God wants you to have a home like that. That's why he sent his son. The conversation goes on, verse 4, talking with his disciples. Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. In verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, no, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? I, I, I don't know, I just kind of picturing this in my own mind, you know, in verse 4, Jesus is saying, you know the way, and verse 5, Thomas says, no, we don't know the way, and Jesus says, yes, you do know the way, and he says, no, we don't know the way, and he said, you know, like, like you used to do with your siblings, okay? In verse 6, Jesus said, yes, Thomas, you do know the way, because what? I am the way. You know the way because I am the way. And I'm also the truth. And I'm also the life. And no one comes to God the Father except through me. That's what we want to focus on today. One of these I am statements about who Jesus really is and about who he really is affects who you really are in your eternal destiny. I don't have a very creative outline today. I'm just using Jesus's, okay? Four statements. Number one, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. You know, we, uh, we want a world where things go right, don't we? We, we want a, a world where good things happen to good people. And bad things happen to bad people because they deserve it. We want a world where we don't get diseases or die. Newsflash. This isn't it. Earth is not that. When, when Don and I get discouraged because things aren't going right in, in our world and, or in the middle school where she works or in our home or at, at the church, we just say, this isn't heaven. This isn't heaven. It's not going to be all right. It's not going to be perfect. We live in a world where we're all sinners who disobey God and we hurt each other. 
Now, we don't like to think of ourselves as, as sinners, do we? Uh, Carl Menninger is uh, regarded as the father of American psychiatry. And he concluded that so much of mental illness and a great deal of physical illness has spiritual causes. He wrote a book, Whatever Became of Sin. He was saying our unwillingness to admit that we're sinners keeps us from running to the one who can save us from our sin. And that's why Jesus laid down on a cross to be crucified. When he did, he absorbed all of God's wrath against sin and he bridged that that horrible chasm separating sinful man from a holy God. And three days later, he walked out of that tomb and to go and prepare a place for us so that we can live in God's house forever. Friend, this world can't satisfy your eternal soul. And the answer to the longing in your heart is not a promotion. It's not more pleasure. It's not more money. It's not a better job. It's not a better marriage. It's not more success. It's not a better relationship. The only thing that will satisfy your eternal soul is to be with your eternal creator. Well, how do we get there? When uh, Don and I started dating in college and she went back home for the summer and I was working and um, during the summer I was able to schedule a trip, a first trip to her hometown, to her house. And uh, a small town in Pennsylvania. And this was, you know, before the days of GPS. In fact, you know, I was riding a dinosaur, you know, on the way. And, but, uh, you know, so you didn't, you didn't know how to get there. And I certainly didn't have a map of her town. So when I got into town, I called her up and I said, okay, give me directions to your house. And she said, oh, no, don't worry. She said, I'll come and get you. It's a good thing she did because she lived in a small town in Pennsylvania and, you know, the roads were kind of cut by ravines or by railroad or, you know, things like that. And it's a good thing because there were several turns. It was rather complicated. I just always tell people that she just wanted to see me and kiss me first, you know, in front of her parents. But uh, you can check just with her on that, see what the real story is. All right. But you know what was so cool about that? The way to her house, she was the way. Friend, there's a way to God's house. It's God's son. We're to follow him. We're to walk with him. That's the way. Uh, when Okay, how many of you were in Sarasota back in, what, 2004 when all those hurricanes came? Okay, you know, and we were just paralyzed uh, by fear. And... Uh, we had a house, uh, her parents had come to live with us, and we had a bigger house, and it had these huge windows in them. And so when these hurricanes came, Donna said, we're putting up plywood. I said, no, nah, we're not doing that. But she said, yeah, we are. And so we did, all right? And, uh, 
my, my neighbor uh, helped me, and our two sons were there. They were home, and so we, we put this plywood with all these windows. Well, then, you know, two or three weeks later, when they had all subsided, it was time to take them down, and everybody was gone. <laughs> so I had to do it myself. And so I got up on a ladder up to the second story and took off a whole sheet of plywood standing on a ladder by myself. And I'm looking down saying, how many times can I do this before I kill myself? I went in and said, Don, I think we ought to pray about downsizing. <laughs> Her parents were no longer with us. It was just the two of us. We bought a condo in a gated community. And at that time, we could still have a lot of people where we did. You know, now with our son being ill, we don't do that very much at all now. But we did a lot of that. And, and whenever we'd invite someone over, I'd always send them an email. I would say, now, here are the directions to our house. <laughs> and invariably, you know, when they were supposed to be there, I'd get this call. Uh, Ron, I can't get to your house because I'm at a gate that won't open. And I said, that's why I sent you directions, because your GPS will take you to a gate that won't open. And friend, this world will take you to a gate that won't open. But God's given us the directions. God's given us the way. Jesus is the way. And Jesus is the word. He's the word of God. He's the way to God. That's his plan. The way to heaven, and most people uh, believe that the way to heaven is through one of the you know, world's religions. doesn't matter which one, but just one of the world's religions. And friend, I just want to say it isn't based on God's word. That's not my opinion, okay? The way to God is not one of the world's religions. It's the Son of God. And you see, there's a huge difference. Following Jesus Christ is not a religion. In fact, it's the opposite of religions. Let me explain. Religions are like a fraternity. like They're like a club. And to get into that club, to get into that fraternity, you have to do some of the rituals. And if you do, then you're in. Friend, we kind of tend to think that Christianity is, is rituals. You know, there's some things you got to do, and if you do those things, you know, then you're in. You know, baptism, confirmation, joining the church, you know, whatever it might be. There's some rituals, and if you do those, then you're in. But, friend, Christianity is not rituals and rules that you do once a week or five times a day or whatever. Christianity is a 24-7 relationship with Jesus Christ that changes you on the inside. Now, I want to give you kind of an extreme example. We know that on 9-11, the 19 men who killed thousands of people on 9-11, we know that those men kept the ritual of their religion, the ritual of prayer five times a day. Their religion also taught them that they would earn the highest approval of their God in paradise 
by the ritual of sacrificing their lives in a holy war. And that's what they did on 9-11. But what did they do on 9-10, the night before? Hotel records from Boston, New York, show that they spent their last night on earth ordering expensive meals and watching porn in their hotel. When the Navy SEALs crashed into Osama bin Laden's compound, who also kept the rituals of his faith, of his religion, and who denounced America for not doing those things, do you know what they found? Piles of vile, disgusting pornography. Now, I, I want, I've got to be very clear here. I'm not telling you that so that we judge and condemn uh, Muslims. So that we hate them more. I'm very concerned about our attitude about other people of other faiths, especially Islam. Why am I telling you that? You see, the world, we have this idea. Religions, world religions, make us believe that all God requires is we do some of the rituals. These men believed that they could use women and children as, as objects for their own sexual gratification and then snuff out the lives of thousands of innocent people, but that they were going to paradise because all God requires and cares about is doing the rituals. Do you see what I'm saying? And we Christians can have that same, same error mindset. I do the rituals. I go to church. I go to class. I pray once a day at meals, whatever. No, friend, Christianity, the way to God is not keeping the rituals and the rules. It's a right heart where Jesus lives. Jesus is the way, the only way. The only religious founder God raised from the dead. The only way that sacrificed his life for others rather than sacrificing the lives of others. Jesus is the way. Second, Jesus is the truth. He's the truth about God. Do you want to know who God is? Colossians 1.15 says, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, all you do is look at Jesus. We have a portrait of him here in God's word. What he did, what he said, where he went, what he, who, he, who he hung out with. He's the truth about God, and he's the truth about us. And the truth about us is, friends, that we can't be saved by being good enough. That's... That's the way life is. If we do our job well, we get a paycheck. If we, if we study for, if we do good on the tests and the assignments, then, then we pass the grade and get the diploma or the degree. That's, that's the way life is. That's not the way it is with God. Because none of us could be good enough to ever earn 
the gift of eternal life. There was only one man who was ever good enough to do that, and he died on a cross so you could have it. We're not good enough. We're sinners. We've rebelled against God. We've disobeyed God. But friend, Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came that the world through me might be safe. I am offering you all of my righteousness so that you can stand before God. And he will not see your sin. He will only see my sacrifice for you. And that's the truth. The truth about God, the truth about us. Third, Jesus is the life. Jesus tells us how to truly live here on earth. We all have our ideas about what life is really all about, what what will make my life exciting and fulfilling and successful. Friend, Jesus is the life. And when God says to us in his word, do this and don't do this, it's not that he wants to restrict us or take away our fun. He's giving us his laws of love so that our life can truly be what it ought to be. Here now, starting right now, we're not waiting till we get to heaven. We have the life of Christ now in us. We can know him and know joy and peace and fulfillment and meaning now and forever. Because Jesus is the life. And fourth, it's what Jesus said. No one gets home except through me. No one can come to the Father except through me. And maybe, you know, you're thinking, uh, Ron, that's Middle Ages theology. No. That's God's Word. Are you telling me the only way to be saved is through Jesus? No, I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you that God tells us that. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. He is the only way. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus told a parable. A parable's an earthly story, but it has an eternal meaning, all right? It's one of the greatest stories ever told. It's about a younger son, you know the story. The younger son of a wealthy farmer who couldn't wait for his father to die to get his inheritance, so he begged his father to give it to him right now. And the foolish son took his inheritance and went to a wicked city where he wasted it all on wine and women. When his money was gone, the only job he could found was, uh, was feeding pigs. And pigs are filthy creatures who roll around in the mud in their own excrement. I don't have anything against pigs, but that's the truth, okay? So here's this Jewish boy who they were forbidden to eat pig because it was unclean. He didn't dare eat it. And now he finds himself in the pig pen. And he was so hungry that he probably fought the pigs for some of what they were eating. 
And finally he came to his senses and he's saying to himself, what am I doing sitting here? My father's servants back in my home live far better than this. I'm going to go home and I'm going to ask my father if he'll accept me as a slave because I don't deserve to be his son anymore. And the prodigal got up out of that pig pen and started home. And imagine what he smelled like. Imagine what he looked like, caked with mud and covered in filth and feces. And as he trudged home, he, re- re- he rehearsed his speech. He, he was going to say to his father, Sir, not dad, sir, I'm unworthy to be your son, but if you would just let me be one of your servants and come back home. But Luke chapter 15 says that before he even reached the gate, his father saw his son coming in the distance and he ran to him. And the prodigal blurted out, Sir, I am not. And before he could say another word, his father embraced him, although he was covered with filth. And he kissed his face. I think about that. When my boys were small and they had a snotty nose, I didn't kiss their face. I'd kiss them on the top of the head, you know? Not this father. Not God. This father kissed the filthy face of this filthy and absurdly rebellious son. And then he put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And you see, servants didn't wear rings or sandals, only sons. And then the father commanded the servants to kill the fatted calf and let the celebration begin. And you see, Jesus told that story. Because some of us are like prodigals. We all are at one time. Maybe you are today. Oh, no, no, you're not in the pig pen. You're not filthy. You, you, look, you look nice. But you're not home with the Father. You're, you're feasting and consuming things that aren't, have no eternal value. Some of us are like prodigals. We aren't at home with our Heavenly Father. We, we think life will be better if we live it our way rather than the way, God's way. And friend, that's why Jesus came. So I came to die for your sins, to bring us to our senses, to lead us back to Father, to the Father. And friend, if you're not at home in the Father's house today, the Father's looking. And he's ready to welcome you home and he's ready to embrace you and he's ready to put the ring and the sandals of a son or a daughter on your hand because he wants you in his heaven. You see, that is what made him send his son to this earth to be a sacrifice for us. No greater love will you ever experience than that. Jesus is the way. He's the only way. The only way to God, the only way to heaven, the only way to real life right now 
and forever and ever. Would you pray with me?